This is Kent Anderson, and you're listening to the Urban to Country podcast. Welcome to the Urban to Country podcast, where we talk to outdoor enthusiasts about life, hunting, and how to make everyday epic. Hey guys and gals, welcome back to the Urban to Country podcast. This is episode number 10. On this episode, I'm recapping the 2018 archery season with my good buddy Kent Anderson. Kent was on a previous episode where we talked about elk calling, and I brought him back on because he had an amazing elk hunting season. So, if you like elk hunting, this is going to be a great episode for you to listen to. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Kent Anderson. Alrighty, take two. So, we started with three bars, and then uh, all of a sudden the recorder just died. So, Kent was uh, telling us an awesome elk hunting story, but we're going to have to start over. This is take two of a uh, elk hunting recap I'm doing with my good buddy, Ken Anderson. You guys remember him from a podcast on elk hunting that we did earlier in the year. And Kent and I are both going to recount our elk hunting stories from the season. And then we're going to talk about some takeaways that everybody can learn from. So I'm going to turn it back over to Kent, who's going to try once again to tell us about what happened during his elk hunting season. So you want the re-summary of yeah, what you Yeah, <laughs> why don't you just summarize what you summarized. Okay, so this year I elected to go in the 22nd of September, and I was in there for nine days. And so I arrived at camp that night, and it was late, probably around midnight. Wake up the next morning, and I was fortunate that I had two brothers that were already in elk camp and spent a few days prior to me getting there hunting elk and so they had a good idea where they were at so the, I had the advantage of knowing where, where the elk were at a lot of times if I go over there and don't have any idea I might spend the first three four days just trying to find an elk and that can sometimes be the hardest thing so if you're not finding elk then it's a lot of just searching and trying to find them yeah this year they were already into them had them bugling good and I ended up hitting pretty much the peak um, of the rut and so the big bulls generally had the cows and some outlying satellites which for me I enjoy because I'll I'll take satellites all day long and still have the opportunity of maybe hunting a herd bull but this year they were really going and the part that I really questioned myself on was my decision of the week that I picked was going to be the full moon and this year the fall equinox as I've done some reading, kind of listening. Um, last I had listened to was Corey Jacobson talk about the fall equinox. And what that'll do is that generally will get those cows into estrus to where they're ready to be bred. And so you kind of have that big push of cows that's ready and generally will have a good rut. Well, this year it also fell on the full moon. And so one of the disadvantages there is if you get a really good full moon, those elk will just rut through the night and it can make it really tough to hunt during the day. Because uh, they've been up all night and they're, they're ready sleeping to bed during the down. day. It's generally going to be warm. September, It's we had really good weather. I think the highest it ever got was mid-60s. Oh, that's perfect. So it was great, great weather for hunting. Later on in the week, we ran into rain and snow. 
but the first few days were perfect. And so that first morning I went out, got into a bowl. Uh, as me and my brother Kirk. Took us a little bit to find them. Once we got them, figured out where they were bugling at, snuck in, kind of got somewhat close, kind of just kept doing a location bugle to find them. And once we got around to them, got the wind right, started bugling, got them to bugle back right at me one time, and then the rest of the bugles kind of indicated to me, probably had some cows, pulled his cows and left. Never did get eyes on him, but could hear him. And so that evening went back into the general same area, and we all kind of split up to see if we could find different groups of elk. So I stayed on that one and kind of hiked in and ended up, just sat, sat out, kind of did com some calling sessions where I was just doing general herd talk, cows, calves, a little bit of bugling in there, uh, still doing my location to find them, and ended up sitting in one spot. I was doing some cow calling, and pretty soon I'm hearing these chirps, and it's rapid. I'm thinking, well, I'm not too far from a road, so I'm thinking maybe a hunter's hearing me and can't, came up, and sure enough, it wasn't, and I could see ears start to come through the timber, and then pretty soon it, I've got two twin calves that come into me. <laughs> and That's I always fun. Well, it, it, was, it was really fun to watch them. Yeah. And I'm at that contemplation of filling the freezer. Do I want to <laughs> do it this early? Do I want to shoot a calf this early? You know, I, I essentially had, you know, 10 days, 9, 10 days ahead of me, a um, little over a week to kind of get this done. And so I, I think obviously did the right thing the way my season went but um you know the one calf came running in looking for me and then stops about 30 yards away and slowly feeds off and then the other one comes just flying in sprinting to me gets it about 10 yards and just starts feeding can't find where i'm at that one finally catches my movement and uh runs off and so then the other one stuck around pretty much all night i couldn't get rid of that calf and so i i think mom maybe got shot and they were looking for another cow mm -hmm. and just wouldn't leave me alone i yeah. would chase it off and i'd cow call and i'd come back and so it at that point i'm definitely not shooting a calf because it's it's fun just watching them and it's they're almost like a pet at that point right it's yeah. like a dog following <laughs> around and just won't leave you alone and so eventually they left i ended up seeing another cow and then a small raghorn and they never did come in and so that was my first day and so obviously starting the trip off really well. The second day, the next morning, my brother had got into a really good herd and had a good herd bowl with him and some na really nice uh, satellite bowls. And he was really proud of himself. I've been working with both my brothers, helping them uh, elk calling. And nice. th this was the first bowl that he ever bugled in himself. So he was got a real big kick out of that and that was the first day that i was there so i go into that spot my second day in and they're bugling um, as soon as they get out of the pickup and so i know it's going to be good but as we're parking another pickup comes around us so i know i'm going to have some competition with those elk with some other hunters and that's okay um you know we kind of have a thing if we get somewhere and there's a pickup parked and it's obvious there's guys in there now i've had you know where i've ran into guys at the road and basically hey where are you going and they'll say a direction sounds good i'm going to go this way and we can go our separate ways and you could still hunt that area yeah um and so they went around us kept going and uh saw where they parked so i went in and 
you know, I know there's out there, so I'm going to hunt. I don't care if there's somebody else there. I'm going to hunt. And, you know, if they get one, well, I've got a pack. I can help pack out or whatever's needed. Sure. And um, ultimately get the herd going. I can hear at least three bulls bugling. And so I start working towards them. And I'm getting to a point I'm really getting some good smells, finding fresh bedding, and finding spots they'd been the night before. I keep going, and I got to uh, to a small ridge, kind of dips down, and I hear pretty much huffing, which sounds like a black bear is what I would, or any bear for that matter, kind of huffing. And so I kind of creep up, and pretty soon I got cows standing and walking, and there's four or five cows there, and so... At that point, I'm figuring there's a bull somewhere close, so I creep closer, and at this point, I'm probably 80 yards from the cows, and I hear feet take off running below me. So then I hurry up, get to the edge, and I look down, and there's a nice satellite bull that I would have been very happy with, which ended up being about the same size as the bull I ended up shooting. Um, but he ends up, I'm getting impatient because I have two bulls past him still bugling. One sounds very obvious to be a real big bull or a good bull. I don't know how big he ended up being. Um, and then another one that's answering me more than probably the herd bull. So I'm concentrating on that bull. And so I keep pushing forward, and I can tell what I'm doing is working. So what I'm doing is, in my mind, I'm this outside bull that's coming into the area, and I'm going to go try and take some cows from these other elk. And so I'm just bugling my way in, and I'm bugling a lot, and I'm getting answers. And so pretty soon I can tell... I get the bugles coming right at me, so I know that bull's bugling towards me, and he's concentrated on me. So I go to cut around him, make sure I got the wind in my favor, and about the time I can tell he's coming, I go to try and get the wind and some open shooting lanes. And so my tactic at that point is I'm going to bugle and I'm going to move. I'm constantly bugle and move. I never am sitting in one spot. So I might bugle, and I'm going to go 10, 15 to 30 yards ahead gotcha. and just kind of set up and wait. So I'm doing that, and I get to a point where I'm trying to get up above him or at his level or where I think he's going to come through. And so he's doing that, and about the same time he's coming into me, I'm moving. I don't know if he caught movement. He definitely, I don't think, smelt me. But I'm moving up above him, and he's coming actually down below me, and I'm going to have a pretty good vantage. Next thing I hear is foots. You know, I can hear him running. I hate so, that sound. <laughs> yeah, I knew that one was done, but I had another bull that was bugling and kind of figured out it was the herd bull. So my, at that point, I'm trying to figure out where they're going to bed. And I'm probably just back off. Maybe stay there for the day, but my brother had dropped me off, so he's telling me, hey, come back up here at this point, and we'll figure out a plan from there. So I ended up hearing what I figure is the herd bull up above me, and I'm calling and bugling. He's answered me for a little bit, and then pretty soon off to my right I get some some random cow calls that's separate from the herd. And so as I'm listening to those, I'm kind of keying in that this sounds like more of an open reed cow call or what I'm used to hearing. Mm, yeah. And so I'm, I'm figuring that's got to be the other hunters. They can hear that bull, and they're probably thinking I'm another bull. So I bugled until the other bull, you know, completely stopped. I bugled a couple more times, and they were answering. I was going to see if I could call them in and then just kind of back out and leave them not knowing <laughs> what I was. And ultimately, I ended up backing out, left that bull alone. Um, that evening, trying to recall, I don't think I got any, into any elk that evening. And then the following morning, so this would be day three, um, we went into um, that same area. 
and uh, instantly again they're bugling from basically get out of the pickup and so that was kind of a downfall in that area be it, where I was at there's actually quite a few roads so um, if you can get there and they're bugling from the road that's good and it's bad because if you can hear them and there's other hunters in the area obviously they can hear them too and so sure enough they're bugling we get in there and I think in the previous podcast I had talked about my brothers really wanted to get me a bull this year and they said you know it's my turn and I just enjoy calling elk so you know I kept telling them I said I appreciate you guys saying it's my year it's my turn but you know if I get one I get one if not I'm here to elk hunt it's vacation I'm away from work this is <laughs> the, this is the trip and so you can't lose th exactly um and so my brother Todd's really been working on his bugle and he's getting excited he called that bull in the first morning that I was there and you know kind of told me that story and I said well let's give it a shot and initially we thought well we'll go our separate ways and I said no let's hunt together and do the two-person setup it's going to be our best you know best chance of probably killing a bull and so he set up behind me we're coming in and we're in when you're hunting with somebody they'll be like well no the bull's over there and I'm like no the bull's over <laughs> there and so you're trying to figure out where the noise is coming from and ultimately we kind of get them pinpointed to an area so we get in we're probably all within 400 yards I suppose uh, within that and he's answering Todd's bugles and I can tell it's just an old growly bugle that you know he's not really wanting to come he's got cows and we get to a point and I can see the cows and they're kind of just feeding so got the wind in our face everything's perfect it's how you want it and we keep getting answers and then pretty soon we get another answer from another bull and I think by the end there was probably five or six bulls in that area that were going at once and they were all the way around us and so we're kind of at that peak of the rut and we hit that frenzy that morning where they're just bugling that's all they're going to do and so we're sitting and we're we're getting answers and it's they're getting closer then they're getting further and then they're getting closer and Man. and i'm kind of stuck because if we go over the next ridge there's a big opening to where they're at and we're we're stuck we can't go any further and so it's hard sometimes to pull those elk through openings and so we're sitting there, and he's looking at me, and I'm just giving him the thumbs up, keep bugling, and they're still answering. So we're, we kind of come back together and trying to figure out what we're going to do, and, and we're getting ready to move. And I look up, and there's a six-point coming right at us. And by this time, we're probably 30, 40 yards down further from where my brother had last bugled. And so I'm I'm in a panic mode because we're standing in the wide open. There's not a tree, nothing. Oh jeez. Where we're standing, and that bull is looking around, and so we both freeze. And I'm just telling Todd, you know, bull, 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 and he's kind of trying to keep me calm because at this point, things are looking good. We got a bull coming. He's within a hundred yards, closing the distance, and so I'm kind of just keeping my eye on that bull and pretty soon his head gets behind a tree so I crouch down really quick and starting to get ready to knock an arrow and he clears that tree and keeps coming through and uh, my brother's right behind my shoulder and and I said just range for me and and we'll see how this goes and I'm getting excited <laughs> and at the same time I'm just calm as can be so it's that weird feeling where things are actually coming together and maybe meant to be and so I'm kneeling kind of waiting I got an arrow knocked and bull keeps coming and he's 
I can hear my brother ranging. He's at 60 and then down to 55 and 50 and then down to like 57, 55, 53. And then pretty soon he's into the 40s. And I'm like, oh, this bull's coming. I'm going to get him. And uh, pretty soon he's within 40 yards and still kind of just panning, looking where that last call came from. And, and keep in mind, we're on a hillside in the wide open. And this is where, you know, camouflage really comes into play, that if you sit still, he was looking right by us. There wasn't a lot of terrain or a lot of trees in between us. It's pretty wide open. And so he keeps coming, and pretty soon he's at 40 yards, and he uh, looks behind him. I come to full draw, and my brother's like 40 yards frontal. And I'm thinking, I hadn't even really th thought of frontal, and pretty soon his chest is just opened up. And I'm at full draw, and my brother, after after the shot, said I was just rock solid. Everything felt really good. I've been doing a bunch of shooting this fall. He's well within my comfortable range, and I end up touching it off. And making sure your equipment's working right really came into play here. The arrow actually flew, couldn't have flew more perfect, but what happened mid-flight is one of my fletchings came off. Oh, jeez. And so I, I distinctly, it sounded like a bottle rocket going right for him. And he, you know, the way new archery equipment, it's so fast, he didn't have a chance to even move. I ended up hitting the pocket just perfect. and On a frontal shot? Yep. Okay. I watched my arrow sink, and there was only up to the fletchings that was sticking out. So I had about 25 to 26 in inches of arrow inside of him. Wow. And as soon as it sunk, he turned, and it looked like you took a five-gallon bucket of blood, and it just come pouring out that hole. And at that point, I knew it was a fatal shot, but he wasn't down. My brother's getting excited. He's... You know, being fairly loud, you just shot a bull, and I'm, I've had it go bad. You know, I had that incident the year before with my buddy Matt when he's just screaming and <laughs> hollering, and, and I'm like, the bull's not down yet. And he ran less than 40 yards, picked his leg up, and rolled down the hill, and he was dead. Wow. And so... In the I'm right situation, those frontal shots are so effective. It's, it's by far, I would say, one of the deadliest shots but there's very little room for error yeah and so if you ever get a chance born and raised did a really good video on this with Corey jacobson and so essentially where i hit there's also a youtube video of a young kid that made essentially the same shot where he shoots this bull frontal and it's almost like a garden hose of blood coming out and it's usually seconds this bull was dead within under 30 seconds and it was over i mean if you want to talk about a fatal shot that was I'm sure I wiped out the jugular, probably both lungs, and maybe caught liver. And so it just wipes them out. They just go yeah. into instant shock, and they have no idea what just happened. And so it's a very ethical, very, um, I mean, it couldn't have been any better. He died within sight. Um, I was joking with my brother. I just started shooting uh, Grim Reaper broadheads, and their slogan is watch them drop. And sure enough, that's exactly what we did is we watched him drop, and it was quick. Wow. So he goes down. We're excited. And all of a sudden, I hear another bugle. And so at that point, I'm like, let's go. I said, we got, my brother still got a tag. Let's go kill another one. And he's like, yeah, let's go. And so we did another set on another bull, had him coming in, just a small raghorn, ends up not coming all the way in. And so we skirt around where they're still bugling. We get up above them and... 
we get sight on the herd bull. And he's a giant, one of the better bulls I've seen. And he's got probably 15, 20 cows right below him. And then he's got a real nice, probably 340-ish, 6x6 uh, for a satellite that sits up above him and just won't answer. So I'm bugling, screaming my head off, trying to get everything I can do to get this herd bull to leave his cows. And he just wouldn't leave them. But in the meantime, there was a small little 4x4 raghorn that wanted to come play. And so my brother set up, blow me, I'm calling now. And this little guy comes on a dead sprint as hard as he can, just licking his lips, coming up to fight me. I go and I whack a tree to rake it to see if I, I can't see the bull. And so I whack the tree, and that bull just locked it up. <laughs> and my brother said he had him within about 40 yards, and he said once he locked up, he kind of tucked his tail and kind of thought better maybe coming out and see what kind of bull I was and ends up I can hear my brother cow calling so I'm like well there must be something close and so that bull just kind of works below us and then that's when I get a really good view of the herd bull and he's probably the only thing keeping this bull from getting into that you know 370 380 class bull is his fronts he was a little weak in the fronts but when you're bull that big there's really no weak right (laughs) uh, who's being picky with a bull like that um and so that bull ends up leaving, and then we're sitting there, and I, all of a sudden there's this bull that just starts erupting, bugling every few seconds. And I'm like, well, that bull's worked up. Don't really think much of it. And it was kind of neat because we really got to focus on that herd bull and what he was doing. And so we sat and watched the satellite bull up above him out in the open, and he would just stare at the, stare at the herd and got to a point where he's almost standing up sleeping. And so we watched him for a good while, and pretty soon this little bull bugles, and the herd bull stands up, kind of starts walking, and bugles, and he doesn't follow the cows. The cows actually followed him. Hmm. And so they end up leaving. And so then I'm trying to call this other little bull in, and uh, we'll get to that little bull here in a little bit. But he uh, keeps answering. He won't come down to where I'm at and eventually just leaves. And so we end up go back to where my bull's out and pack him out. And um, end up we had to get the bull on ice. It wasn't hot, but you still got to take care of the meat. So, And I will say we took good care of it because I've been eating on him the last few days, and it's been really good. So the bull I ended up That's shooting sweet. was a just nice, solid 6 by 6 probably 3.5, 4.5-year-old bull. But uh, awesome taste, and he's... Uh, can't ask for much better than no, that. No, no. My season went so much better than I anticipated. You always hope for that, and that's what I shoot for every year is you shoot in a nice six-point, and that's kind of my goal, and I met it this year. And so each year I'm learning and pulled it all together this year. And so then I had the next few days just to hunt with my brothers and relax and antelope hunt. And, that's know, phenomenal. Kind of had my trip. And so I spent the next few days calling for them. Um, got a lot of good interaction with elk. Then the rain came, and that, I have found, typically shuts them down. Uh, they, they, they'll they bugle, but they're typically not going to move, and they're typically not going to come into you. That's what I have found. If guys other than that have had success, um, good on them, but it seems like snow and rain. I found this with turkeys, too. I've been right in the middle of turkey hunting and calling, and I'll have them gobbling, and I'll feel sprinkles, and they just shut down. Yeah. Um, and probably go find cover just to get out of the rain. So... That kind of shut them down for a couple of days. But, but 
What's funny is if you look at any kind of advertising, it's always in like the gloomy, foggy, like socked in weather. And it makes it look like that's where like the epic elk hunting is. And but it can be because we definitely yeah. had that where um, we had a couple days of real heavy fog. Well, that, that day that Todd ended up bugling those bulls and it was, you couldn't see 75 yards. And so he said the one bull came out was really big. He didn't know how big, but he came through the fog. He said it was just unbelievable <laughs> watching that bull come through the fog. Um, That's cool. And he actually probably could have shot a bull that morning, but, you know, he just wasn't comfortable with the shot and ended up passing on him, which was, I, I think he probably could have made the shot. But, you know, if you're not feeling it, and I did that later on that week with an antelope, if you're not feeling it, don't take the shot. And right, yeah. You know, it was interesting with that with a bull I ended up taking that I can remember getting to full draw. I don't remember uh, hitting my release. I just knew it was on, and everything felt perfect, and it ended up, I mean, the arrow flew. I can still picture it, uh, you know, and then seeing him turn and, and watching it all unfold, and it was seconds. Um, you know, I was not crying, but there was definitely some tears after that. And just that raw emotion of, you know, I feel like I've had a monkey on my back the last few years trying to get elk killed, and it hasn't came together for me, and there's been missed opportunity after missed opportunity, just simple things that, that weren't quite right, and you get flustered after a shot and a miss and, and things like that. And so I'm kind of at that average. You know, the last elk I killed was six years ago, and so I'm kind of at the average with, you know, everybody else. And I've... I've had plenty of encounters called lots of elk in just hasn't came together and this year it finally did and so now i just got to keep it up where it's you start getting consistent and yeah and that's my goal now is just consistency so um you know the rest of the week um i ended up calling that little bull in so the one that ended up circling down below us and having that herd bull walk out with his cows it was a few days later so um you know we're going to get my elk on ice and i end up getting a flat tire <laughs> and as, we get as stopped. is bound to happen when you're out elk hunting. Yeah, the, the the roads we were on were notorious for giving flat tires, and I got one. And I thought I had pretty decent tires on my pickup. Well, come to find out, I don't. Um, and so we're headed up. I get a flat tire, and I just bought this pickup fuse not too long ago. And me being not prepared like I should be, forgot to check to see if it came with the standard jack and the tools you need to drop the tire which oh, it did not have oh crap <laughs> and so here we are we're stuck in the middle of nowhere well i shouldn't say that far we, we were not too far outside of town thankfully and so uh, my brother kirk brought his stuff we got that flat changed and so we're all excited i got my bowl the elk are still in there we're gonna you know get up get the meat into the freezer head back down to camp well that stalled us for the night. We missed that next morning hunt. And we're going back down to camp, and we're on the same gravel road, and sure enough, we get another flat tire. <laughs> <laughs> and so at this point, I'm frustrated and pretty upset because I'm almost afraid to drive around. So we end up going to a local store, and I'm planning, got a brand-new set of tires for my pickup and made it back to camp and hunted the rest of the trip out. Um more elk encounters but back to that little bull we got on the same herd that i got my elk out of and they were bugling and answering so the first time this little bull kind of got those elk out of there he came with his winded you know winded his back and, and into the herd and 
So then this next time we're on these elk and I can sometimes tell the difference between a hunter and an elk and I should have cued in on it earlier. So we get back on them, get close, we're calling them in and pretty soon I hear the same little elk. And pretty soon my brother looks back, he says he can see him, it's just a little guy sitting in his bed bugling. See him lifting his head back and I'm hearing the chuckles and the grunts and like that's a terminator bugle from primos i can tell the sound <laughs> and it just did not click with me sure enough this hunter did this twice came with the elk or with the wind at his back oh into geez. the elk herd uh, which blew him out on us twice yeah and so the inexperience of that of the guy knew where the elk were they were bugling but just not coming with the wind and it it ended up messing it up for him and us yeah and so then i sat and bugled back and forth with the guy for like 30 minutes and I told my brothers, let's go. This elk, obviously, and at that point, we're still convinced we have another elk there. I said, this elk's not going to come in. Let's go to him and, and challenge him, see what can happen. And so as we're getting ready, my brother comes out in the opening. He's like, it's a hunter. And so at that point, we back out and we get out of there. Uh, and that was bummer. that was the last we had of, of that herd. And it really, you know, I kind of hit the peak of the rut, and then it tapered off, and uh, we ended up from that point ended up switching gears got down to the last couple days i finally told my brother um i'm just gonna cow call and see if we because we we're doing a lot of bugling we're not getting a lot of answers mm -hmm. and so in my mind we're probably at that transition point where some of the bulls are breaking off and the smaller bulls what we were finding were with cows but i'm sure they were cows that had been bred and so we kind of just hung out with them and then Sure enough, a cow call, and I get an answer instantly. And it's a small raghorn, takes a couple cows and leaves. Well, my brother went back into the same spot. I split up, went with my other brother, called for him. And um, Kirk and I went into one spot, didn't get into the elk, but as we're going in, I see something running down the road. And we stop, and sure enough, it's a really big bobcat. Oh, that's cool. And so I watched him run off, and so we had a pretty good time there never got into the elk again so get back to camp and todd ended up right where i had cow called that raghorn and those cows that um got out of there he sat down cow called and sure enough had a big probably 300 inch six by six come in and he ended up unfortunately hitting a limb and ended up not killing the bull but had perfect Dang. broadside 30 yard shot everything looked good and then that branch just ruined it oh that <laughs> so, sucks um know a lot of guys that have had that happen you get so focused on that elk you can't see the stuff in between and it's just tiny branches that'll do that to you and that's all it takes to deflect it doesn't take much but that was kind of my whole elk season in a nutshell um it like i said it went way better than anticipated and i'm gonna have a lot of good meat for the year that's awesome and man. one i won't ever forget so it was definitely a uh, a very good trip to reflect back on and i you know i always contemplated man i'm hunting a full moon is it going to be any good and it ended up it was tough the moon definitely i think did somewhat deter us but at the same time we had good weather and good cloud cover that i think maybe prevented some of that rutting going on late at night and made it somewhat normal for us but there was definitely nights where it was clear and you could see a long ways so they were definitely rutting throughout the night but Gotcha. Ended up really good. Learned a lot. Um, I learned more and more every each season. 
Um, I've talked to guys um, in other areas that weren't having much luck with the bugles, and it seemed early it was really good, and then late it really just shut off. And um, where we were at, we just kind of got fortunate that we got into those frenzies in, the, in that peak of the rut, and it worked out for us. So um, fortunately, I, you know, I was the only one that filled an elk tag which was kind of disappointing because I was looking forward to packing quite a few elk out this year. But um, all in all, it was a good season for me, obviously. And then my brothers were there for it too, which was pretty special. So That's anytime cool. they're there, it's uh, pretty good. So yeah, definitely can't complain. Well, and anytime you can, you know, have those really, you know, monumental experiences with your good hunting buddies, and if those good hunting buddies happen to be family, I mean, that all just plays together to make an awesome memory so i mean you couldn't have asked for more i mean that's no. pretty awesome you know the only thing i would ask i guess is maybe a couple more elk yeah <laughs> for those guys <laughs> i mean but they've had a couple of good seasons themselves they actually uh just got back from uh, my niece and nephew both drew u tags in the breaks and they both got their oh, cool. so they've had a good year already that's very cool yeah just waiting for the rest of the season now yeah oh it's, we're only halfway through so it's hard it's to believe it's been a whirlwind already but i i'm taking more time off coming up it's gonna be good <laughs> how was your season my season was good as well i was as i was preparing for this i was thinking about where i would rank this and this was definitely my mo this is the most fun i've had elk hunting the uh like the the biggest encounters i mean it's just been such an awesome experience i actually started early i drew um one of the uh salt lake city expo tags which for those of you who don't know how that works there's a sportsman's expo down in utah and they allocate two tags per unit for elk and deer and then I, i'm not sure how the other species work but at least for elk and deer it's two tags per unit only people who attend the expo can draw them and then, um, yeah, so your odds are pretty good. And I, I got super lucky and drew the Fish Lake Utah bull tag, which I was definitely not expecting to uh, to draw. Uh, it was funny. I actually forgot that I'd even put in for it. That's not a bad surprise. I know. And I'll, it was about 10, 10.30 at night. And all of a sudden, my phone, I just started getting all these texts. And some people were saying congratulations. And other people were calling me names. And I was like, what is going <laughs> on? And then all of a sudden, I... I thought about it. I was like, wait a second. I go on the website and there's my name, which was, it was awesome. Uh, first limited uh, entry tag I've ever drawn. First out of state tag I've ever drawn. So I was, I was, you know, out of my mind excited and uh, spent a lot of time calling people, talking to folks, getting information. I wasn't going to have time to go down and scout ahead of time, just busy with work and, and whatnot. And, and honestly, part of me was looking forward to that adventure of going down there, kind of new virgin territory. Um, so, yeah, uh, got down there. It was a little bit different than than I uh, had been told. Uh, they, I think in the last five years, put a major road right through the middle of the unit, which made it mm -hmm. very accessible. And uh, the way that unit worked is you had to draw for the cow or you had to draw for the bull, but spike hunting was open. So what a lot of people did is they would bring their campers up, they'd bring their kids, they'd bring their mom and dad, they'd bring their dog, their cousin Billy, like everybody's Pretty there. Pretty much everything in the kitchen sink. Yeah, every, everything. <laughs> Dude, 
I was driving up the road looking for a place to camp and there's just campers everywhere. And I looked down and I about had a heart attack because there's a big bull elk down in the middle of these people's camp. And then I realized it's one of those Reinhardt massive. Somebody elk. packed one of Somebody those in? Somebody packed one of those in. The bedded one. Wow. Yeah. So that gives you an idea. It it was uh, it was interesting. Um, I don't know if I'd want that in my camp necessarily. I know. I actually had a I actually had a guy tell me, an older guy. He's like, dude, there's been this elk down in the bottom and it's just hanging out there all day. And I said, I I think that's a target, buddy. You should go take a second look. <laughs> uh, but uh, prime beautiful. reason why I wouldn't want that in my camp. Exactly. You could get you could get shot. Um, so that was a little bit of a, a surprise i was not expecting that many people you know with it being a limited entry unit i thought you know i wouldn't have to compete with the crowds and no one really gave me a heads up that there'd be that many people there but i you know like you're an elk hunter you're gonna just roll with it yep and uh i was like I'm just gonna have to hike like that's the thing like get away from the crowds get away from the people so i got up super early like 4 30 i was at the trailhead hiking in this is in August. This is August 18th um, was when it started. Um, and you talk about, just sidetracking here real quick, you talk about, you know, making that call with a full moon. My call that I had to make was um, I had some things in September to where I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get down there to to hunt the last week of the season, which would have been the 7th through the 14th. It's a little bit better for the rut, not peak rut, but a little bit better, but I wasn't sure. So I made the call to go down the first week and try to get in on him. Whether that was the right call or the wrong call, I mean, you just never know. But there were some things that came with that. They were they were not rutting. It meant I had to do a lot of spot and stock, which I'll get to, and uh, super hot. So they were betting early and all day. Uh, so some different challenges I had to face, but opening morning, get up, hike in about two and a half miles or so to this ridge line that looks down um, into two different drainages. And I get up uh, basically to the very top um, and just sit there and listen. And then I heard the sound that I thought I wouldn't hear that early. And it's this bull just rips this gnarly bugle on the other side of the canyon. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be good. And uh, so I'm kind of, it's, you know, it's getting to that gray light kind of day where you can kind of start to see things. And then somehow I glassed up this bull. And the second I glassed up this bull on the other side of the canyon, it was just like, they just start popping. You could just like, oh, once, w- once you see that one, yep, you just start seeing them all. And I counted 13 bulls on the opposite. Did bachelor group together? Uh, they were kind of just spread out. I mean, they weren't not together, but they weren't together together. They were just kind of all spread out all over this hill. And there were like little pockets of like two or three here, two or three there. Uh, there were only two cows in there with them. And it was, you know, 13 bulls just kind of all spread out across this facing hillside. And I thought, dang. Like, this is going to be pretty cool. So I started making a plan and had kind of figured out where I wanted to go. They're still bugling. Um, I had a I had a cow walk within about 50 yards right below me while this is all going on, so that was cool, really oh, close man. to her. I'm like, this is going to be an elk hunting paradise. 
And then I hear a sound that just made my heart sink. I hear a four-wheeler up above me on the opposite side of the uh, the ridge. And I'm like, what is a four-wheeler doing up there? And then I hear oh. another one and another one and another one. And I what I found out was they don't shut down the four-wheeler trails during archery season in this unit. So people just ride their four-wheelers all over the trails. Oh, and all, the, all these trails that I thought were going to just be kind of hiking only, they were all accessible by four-wheelers. Which, so go ahead. Going down, was there a way to tell that? See, and that was the thing that surprised me. I didn't read it, that on any forum. I talked to multiple employees for the, the state and national forest, um, talked to, you know, other people that hunted the unit, and nobody nobody mentioned that. I don't know if everybody just thought that somebody else would tell me that, but I never saw that information advertised anywhere. So trailheads, did they have anything posted that it was multiple use area, anything yeah, like that? Yep. Yeah. Once once I got into the unit and started going to other different trailheads, I saw that the one that I went to was not. So where I hiked in, it was either foot traffic or equestrian. So in the morning at, you know, the middle of, you know, basically the middle of the night when I'm hiking in, I didn't see any signs for that. And then as I started exploring the area more, yeah, most of the trailheads had multiple use kind of ATV yep. trail signage, uh, which is, I mean, and that's that's on me, right? Like not being able to get down there and scout ahead of time. I mean, that, that would have helped me know that, but it was what it was. Um, the point with, with that sound is you could tell the bulls started to get kind of antsy once they heard that sound. And then they all started filing down and headed up towards this ranch that's in the unit, and they all kind of just ran over onto private property. Plus, somebody started shooting a gun at about 8 o'clock, which <laughs> definitely sped the process up. Were there any rifle seasons open? No. Uh, we And I talked to some other hunters, and they said, yeah, they, everybody, everybody that I ran into who had heard the gun going off, they were pretty mad because they're, they're, nobody should have been shooting a gun in that unit. Um, and from, from that point on, um, I was by myself the, the first two days and then my good buddy Jason came down, joined me and, and he was down there for five days with me while, while I hunted, um, which is awesome. I mean, he didn't have a tag. He just drove down, down to help out. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's what, to me, that's what hunting is all about. It is, is that kind of camaraderie and friendship. It's a it's the the bonds that you build doing this kind of stuff. And it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, and I wish I had had the opportunity to do that for him this year, but he had kind of a rough season, which I'll, I won't go into. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was a lot of spot and stock. Uh, that country's pretty thick. When it's open, it's open. When it's thick, it's rainforest, jungle thick. Was and that generally where you're finding those elk hanging out is the thick pockets? Yep. Yeah, we saw what we would what we found was that we would see them very first thing in the morning, and we would try to get onto them as quickly as possible. We're at ten thousand feet; it's steep, steep country. Uh, you can't move super fast. We we would try to just judge where they were going to be, and then get on them as quickly as possible. Um, we had a we had a couple close calls, and when I say close calls, I mean between like seventy five and a hundred yards doing that um the guys that are successful um 
as I've kind of watched other guys that have hunted that unit, they uh, they get tree stands up for that early season. Yep. And they pattern them that way. One of the things that made that difficult because I thought after the first one, I was like, okay. Um, and I, I had some really good um, buddies down in Utah who sent me waypoints and, and helped me and, and were, you know, kind of helping me e-scout a little bit. And one of them even said I could go sit his tree stand. And I thought, okay, like that's going to be the thing. Like we're just going to have to hike in early in the morning, hang out all day, sit the tree stand at night when they come in. It started raining. So now there's water everywhere. Yep. And and honestly, there's a, there's a lot of water in that area to begin with. And what we found was the bulls just weren't coming to the springs consistently to. enough. They didn't have to. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a challenging unit. It was so much fun, but definitely challenging. And it was a good lesson on early season hunting. And some things that I would change is uh, definitely figure out a better tree stand situation. Um, ask next time. Uh, I mean, being from Montana, most of our, our prime units, there aren't four-wheeler trails that go right through the middle of the unit right but you know going to other states that's a question i'll definitely ask is what's the the atv access like because i could have borrowed an atv and that could have maybe helped cover some more ground i don't know uh one cool thing that did happen while we were down there we we hiked our butts off all day we got super tired so what we did was we found this this area that had a couple of wallows some water. It's kind of on a bench with, you know, a cliff on the backside, uh, only, you know, limited access in and out, um, and some good looking escape routes. And we thought we could hear maybe some elk sounds, maybe some scraping from up above. So when we dropped down in, we didn't see anything. We just thought we're tired. It's about three hours left of daylight. Maybe something will come through here. We're just going to you know, we were doing about 10 miles a day in some pretty tough country. So we're like, we're going to cut ourselves a little slack and we're going to sit down. So we sat there. Every once in a while we would, you know, do a little cow chirp. And uh, I think Jason took a little nap. Um, That's usually I, when they come in. Yeah. Yeah, right. I had a, a book on my phone, so I did a little reading. We were just kind of just resetting our mental game. Jason woke back up and he looks and he pulls up his binos, and he goes, "There's a bull right there." No kidding. And I was like, "You're you're joking me." And I look, and 80 yards away, through this really thick stuff, there's a bull, sound asleep, on this little. When we walked over there later, it's like this perfect little perch oh, where he man. could see down below him. He had two exits. He had a good backdrop behind him where nothing could come up behind him. I mean, and the wind was, like, kind of funneling right to him. Not from where we were sitting, but if we had gone down, and that was the hard thing. If we had tried to sneak in on him, the wind would have gone right up to him. And if we had tried to circle around, wh whatever this weird vortex he was in, it was it would come down to him. So it was circling in from both directions to him. I mean, he had that spot dialed for for the wind. Wow. How long do you think he'd been there? I mean, he was probably there before we walked in there and just didn't hear us, didn't see us, didn't feel threatened, whatever. So we sat there for another two or three hours watching him, waiting for him to stand up. Never got a shot at him. Uh, we What we tried to do was as soon as he stood up, um, 
I kind of snuck up into this little opening, kind of a maybe like 150 yards away from him, and just did some cow calling. And Jason said that he could see him. And he said as soon as I started cow calling, two other bulls that were tucked back in there also stood up, and all three of them kind of like looked in my direction, kind of did that like we want to go that way, ah, but it's too early. And then they kind of took oh. off. So it was uh, it was crazy, but it was it was kind of fun watching him being that close, watching him like his head would like he would kind of pick his head up, his eyes would get real heavy, and then his head would drop back down. Oh, and man. just a couple hours of that that's, was uh, pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's not much better than that to be able to watch them just do their thing uninterrupted yeah. and just relaxed. Yeah. And I had I had several opportunities like that this year where I got to be really close to elk and watch elk behavior. Like I watched two cow elk box with each other, yep. which I'd never seen before, which was pretty cool. Watch herd, watching herd behavior and in close proximity is pretty exciting. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I left Utah without filling that tag, which was uh, bittersweet. It was an amazing experience, really good learning experience. Got to see a lot of cool country, got to see some big bulls. Um, but in the end, didn't fill a tag. And part of that's on me, part of that's just circumstance. And uh, walked away a little bit wiser, a little bit, you know, more tired than I was when I got down there. <laughs> you know, the elk hunting to <laughs> sum up most of it, you come out of there tired. But So that was a Western Hunt Expo. That was uh, one of their draw tags. Is yep. that like the $5? Yep. Draws? Yeah. Yeah. So I just did the, I think it's like a $60 entry fee for all yep. the units. And I just did that. So odds it's, are pretty good if you can make it down there. Yeah. I wouldn't go to that show for you. I'd, nobody should go to that. Just, just a few people to put in for those. That's right. Like maybe the six of us that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked about that, I think, last time. That is yeah. a, that's an awesome show. I've always enjoyed that one. Yeah, it's very lots cool. Lots of people and lots of opportunities to get tags like that. Yep. So. And you get to meet a lot of cool people. Like that's where I got to meet Rocky yep. Jacobson for the first time. And, um, you know, you get to meet a lot of cool people and everybody's really friendly. Uh, the rest of my season – you know, there there were some highlights. Um, I hunted tw- between August and September. I hunted 24 days for elk, that's just good. elk. That's a good elk season. That was a good elk season. Um, I was like I was telling you before, the last day that I went out for archery, I was actually antelope hunting and just happened to toss my bow in the truck in case I could get a shot at an, an antelope with my bow, and saw some elk out in these sage flats just out there feeding and so made a play on them and got to spend four hours in october listening to a a bugling frenzy uh these four bulls were just not happy that they were all in the same area and so they were trying to uh posture on each other and and push the other ones out and then uh that unit unfortunately it's a limited draw for bulls, but you can shoot cows or spikes, and I'm not picky, so I thought, you know, get in on the cows and spikes while these guys are fighting with each other. But this young bull uh, kept harassing this herd bull, and I could hear him locking antlers through the trees and bugling at each other, and eventually the the bull with the herd of cows, he just took them all and took them up and over onto this ranch away from that young bull, and that young bull kind of hung out and 
I called him in from 600 yards and just wanted to wanted to see how my elk calling had improved. So I, you know, I did a cow calling series and he came on a string down to 50 yards from oh. 600 and it was so cool. Got great pictures of him up close um, and good video of him bugling. And I mean, th- just picture this, you're up on a, a peak and there's snow covered mountains all around. This bull's 50 yards away from you, just bugling his head off, steam coming out of his mouth. And I mean, every sound that you can imagine a bull making, he's making from, you know, lip balling to, yeah, just, just whatever, whatever sound you've heard an elk make, he's doing it, trying to find cows and at 50 yards, that's pretty cool. So I feel like even though I didn't feel my, uh, my tag during archery season, it was an amazing archery season and I learned a lot of really cool things, um, this season. So it was a good season. Awesome. That yeah. last day, that last day, I probably would have sat on the couch. That sounds like a terrible morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody should be out. Those are the days you out. dream of, especially October. And yeah, I think there's something to uh, the state of Montana for for that fact that we are able to still archery hunt that late um, into October because there's still a lot of good elk hunting that can be had in yep. October, and a lot of guys. Uh, from what I found are generally, oh, it's that middle of September, and I'm one of them. I'd like to hunt that, but yeah, I hunted that October last year, and we kind of just hit it hit it wrong and, and weren't finding the pockets of elk, but they were still bugling, and we were still getting into them, and that was that first week of October. And so if you're thinking that your season's done because September's done and, and most states generally elk archery is going to be done in that time frame but we still have that couple weeks of october and sometimes that can be very beneficial and uh, the one thing i would say going into rifle season we have that gap but if you get in there that week when there's nothing going on that's a good way during you know prior to rifle season of locating some elk to get in there on opening morning and hopefully fill your tag which is coming up here pretty soon yeah and so i don't ever dismiss that that october because i I still think there's that secondary rut where there's still cow- cows that didn't get bred that will have a second cycle, and and there's still a lot of that rut activity. I think over at uh, is it Slippery Ann, yep, those elk are in there pretty much all fall. Yep. So that shows you what undisturbed elk can do too. Yeah. <laughs> I've always had those dreams of going to some of those private ranches and being able to, you know, see how my elk calling is in those places, just to see what the reactions are to get elk that really haven't been called to to right to see how good and fun it would actually be because when you can do that in public land it'd be you know some of that private ground would be a lot of fun but frustrating to know that you'd be able to do that and not be able to shoot anything but still fun my uh my love is public land hunting i absolutely love public lands but if i could go hunt the hill ranch for even a day that that would be incredible just to be able to go to a place like that with the number of elk that are on that place and and like you said just call elk that don't get pressured and watch them react in a very natural way to what you're doing that would be incredible i mean there's other awesome ranches out there i just from the old primos videos Uh like watching them go hunt the hill ranch it always seemed pretty cool i would enjoy it yeah even if I could just sit and call, I'd be all right with that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hill Ranch, if you want to let us come call. <laughs> I'd we, be all for that. We'll, we won't say, we won't, we don't need to shoot anything. We just want to call elk. You know, I, I would say 
this year with with years past too. You can sit through seminars, you can read forums, you can watch all the elk videos you want. The way to really get dialed in on elk is getting out there. The more mm-hmm. time you spend, you said 24 days. 24 days. That's a good solid elk season of getting in there and spending a lot of time. And over time, it's going to happen. It all comes together. I, I think I proved that to myself this year in the fact of filling a tag. But um, the more time you spend, it's great. If all you have is weekends, that's the time you get out. Um, but if you're able to dedicate a week, two weeks, three weeks, Somewhere in there, I think that's going to be maybe where some of that consistency comes from. Yeah. Year after year is just the more time because there's nothing like experience. You know, I can sit on here and talk about the things I do and the things that have worked for me. Actually going out and putting that stuff to use and that experience is invaluable and makes probably the biggest difference that I can think of. Yeah. Well, and with those 24 days, that was not 24 consecutive days, like, and right. I think that can that that number can sound overwhelming to some guys who don't have the kind of flexible schedule. I, do. I have a very flexible schedule. I work a lot of weekends and a lot of nights, and quite frankly, working in conservation, one of the benefits is that my boss will sometimes kick me out of the office to go do something outdoors. So that that helps out a lot. But for for people that don't have schedules like that, you piece it together, you know go into work early, like go in at seven o'clock one morning, get off at three and then go hunt in the evening. Yep. I mean, that, that's the way to do it. And obviously, you know, some of you guys and gals, your schedules are inflexible. Even if you just go out for, if you get off at five, like you have that normal nine to five or eight to five, get off at five and go out for an hour, even an hour outside hunting. You, you'd be amazed what you can make happen in an yep. hour. And and I think it's just um, no excuses. I mean, don't make excuses if if you say, I don't have time. Well, we make time for the things we love. Like, I, I truly believe that. We've got to balance family. We've got to balance all these things. But if you truly want to become a good elk hunter, piece together the days, piece together the time. And like you were saying, Kent, like, it's amazing how much you improve as a hunter by putting in the time in the field. That's where that improvement and those opportunities that's hunting is about opportunity. You know, that opportunity on the field is not going to happen unless you're out in the field. Nobody killed an elk sitting on the couch, you know, watching Netflix. Yep. Much as I love to watch Netflix. (laughs) Well, and you know, even just getting out, I, what I'm finding is, is from my first day elk camp when I'm way excited, I better be way excited on that last day a few years ago. Uh, it was our, our last evening to hunt, and I was wore out and tired, ready to see family, and sure enough, that's when it happened. In that last 15, 20 minutes, we called a bull in, and I was at that point, I was exhausted, ready to go, and it was just a mental fatigue on my part that I failed that night because of that, and had I been more prepared and just knowing, and, and that's one thing I've really tried to stress with myself, is be ready at all times, whether you're you know, sitting at a wallow taking a nap. Uh, we did that last year. We were sitting in a spot taking a nap, and sure enough, we had elk walking by us at 50, 60 yards, and we're just sitting there relaxing, having fun visiting. And so you always have to be ready. And so when you take that into account for, okay, I've gotten done with work early tonight, I'm going to go out and see if I can find some elk, and 
you never know when it's going to happen, especially with the elk in the rut because it's they're so sometimes hit and miss. It might be hot for a few days, and then I've had it where I take my 10 days and I get an elk for one day. And so it can be a very frustrating deal, but if you don't take that time, you're missing out. Yep, so. absolutely. And that's a actually a really good segue into the second part of this I wanted to do. Uh, Ken and I are each going to share our, our top three lessons that we learned from our archery season. Your archery season is not quite done yet, and I'm, I'm hoping I can stretch mine out. But I think we both had some good experiences that taught us things this year. So I'll start. Uh, my number one thing that I learned this year is that I need to work on my mental game. I there were some, There were definitely some times this year where I was not as mentally tough as I should have been. And, and by that, what I mean is there were some times where I maybe quit a little sooner than I should have because I was either tired or discouraged or you name it. And, you know, going back to camp an hour early or heading back to the truck an hour early. And there's a lot of reasons why that happened. But at the, like I said earlier, they're, they're all excuses. If I, who knows what I could have done if I had, stuck it out for that extra hour. Uh, and the, and the second part of that, that mental toughness was I was blown away by how impatient I, I am. I, I thought I was a pretty patient person. There were at least two instances where I, I had elk within, um, well, the one I had elk within 60 yards. I was in on a herd at 60 yards. And I sat there for two hours and I just got impatient. They didn't know I was there. I had the wind. I could have just kept sitting there, but I got impatient and I tried to sneak in on them and I got busted. And I look back at that and think, what if I had just been a little bit more patient? And then the other one I had, um, I had a bull and three cows at 150 yards and they were just kind of feeding. They were out in the open. There was no way to get to them. And I had the thought, well, I'm just going to sit here and watch him. And then I thought, well, you know, he might be interested in another cow. So I cow called. Like, I don't know why. I just got impatient and thought, well, maybe I can cow call him over here. Maybe they'll get curious instead of just being patient and letting the opportunity develop. So my my takeaway, the lesson that I learned is to work on my mental game, uh, become a little bit more mentally tough, and, and that has – everything that that covers everything from being patient to actually being mentally tough so that's a tough one yeah i think it's uh i think what i have found with that is if you look at people that are consistent there's a mental toughness there that not everybody has and so you just have to have that perseverance and i don't think they're mistakes by not being patient there's times where you want to make it happen that you know, you try and get into a herd and you get busted. That happens. Um, I did that last year. I got impatient when you're talking mental toughness. This is my last night. I found a calf and a cow out feeding, and I had no patience. I went right into them and got busted. Yeah. But I was going to make it happen. I had my mindset. That's what I was going to do, and I almost pulled it off. Um, had I sat back and maybe tried to call, I don't I don't know. Yeah. You know, mental toughness is – this elk hunting, any hunting, is going to wear you out at some point, especially when you're doing day after day, 
and it it just wears on you. Yep. It's really tough if you're by yourself because it's so much easier when you're by yourself to say, you know, I'm tired. I'm just going to go back to camp. Yep. That's where if you got somebody with you, I have found that wants to push you. It's and you tough. don't want to look like a wuss. Well, and it's <laughs> tough if you got two of you there that go, let's go to camp. Let's go get something to eat. <laughs> when truly you should probably just stay right where you're at, keep going. Right. But it's that's something that takes time. And I'm I'm at the same point. I'm, my mental toughness gets me every year where it's like, you know what, it's it's a little, I'm starting to get cold. I, I'm just going to go to camp. Yeah. Yep. You know, did I miss an opportunity? Possibly. Yeah. But. At the same time, I'm not at work. And yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm relaxed. You know, the the couple of days that we had the the rain, it was actually kind of nice because we kind of just sat around camp and relaxed and and you need to do that. The, yep. That that is vital to being successful. And I think everybody needs to, you know, take stock of themselves. And and we all know when we check out early and and when we you know cut ourselves a break that maybe we should have pushed through. But you're right. Like you do need those days back at camp. You do need that that recouping, that time to recoup where you can, you know, kind of catch your breath and and go out strong the next day. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I think maybe that's the other part of mental toughness is knowing okay when when is it important to be mentally tough, and when is it important to you know take a break for a second. Yep. And that's that's the other thing I'm trying to learn. <laughs> it's a balance. It's definitely a balance, and I don't have the answer yeah. by any means. So what about you? What did you learn? Um, you know, coming into this season, I had high expectations, and like I've already said in this, the, the week that I took was the full moon. And I knew going in it was going to be a challenge. I either knew my week was going to be really good if I hit the peak like I did, or it was going to be tough and it was just going to be completely shut down. And so I picked that week not knowing what the outcome was going to be. But my number one thing I would say is it doesn't matter what's going on. Once you pick your time, stick to that. Because I really started to, to second guess myself when I was talking to my brothers and they were talking, they're going, It's gonna you're going to regret not being here. And I was because I knew they were an elk. Um, and so my worry was I was going to get there and the, you know, the rut's going to be done and I'm yeah. down there for a week, which that's the week I had, I was going to hunt regardless. It ended up working out, but my, my number one thing would be is when you pick a time, go and be confident in the time that you pick. I was confident, but at the same time, I still had those questions of, was this smart or not? Yeah. Because that's, I had my one week yep. and I didn't hunt any other elk. I picked that week. And I struggled week after week at the beginning of the season of seeing people's, you know, pictures of elk that they're killing and knowing, yeah, I got to sit here and I can't go yet. And it's driving me nuts. And I, I just, I get overrun with thoughts of elk during the season. And so I, I, you know, I was fortunate it worked out the way it did, but I guess in, in future seasons, I'm not going to be so focused on that moon phase and mm. I'm going to try and do my research ahead of time, figure out, you know, when that fall equinox is, knowing that little bit of information now, and kind of plan my weeks around then. And so. Yeah. Yeah, man, when you make a plan, you got to commit to it. Yep. If if there's any kind of second guessing where you're, you know, 
not you're not all in on that you know that idea that plan that you've made that's when stuff doesn't go right that's when you you know you start to have problems so whether it's wrong or right that's the plan you made and you just you go with it and you make it work yep yeah every year there's always at least roughly five to ten days that i take off specifically for the rut and archery elk and it's addictive because every year i'm getting into them it seems like and things have gone very well and i'm learning more and more every year but i specifically targeted the full moon this year which i like i said i contemplated hard like is this really the week that i want to go in there and do this <laughs> and obviously i'm glad i did but yeah um if it had been a long week where there was no rut activity and nothing going on, I think there was still a lot to gain from that and a lot that I would have learned regardless. So um, that's the week I had, and that was the week I was going. So Yeah. So the second thing I learned as I was thinking about this, I, I set a goal for myself that I was going to get a bull during archery season. And I didn't care how big he was that 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 has never mattered to me um and so i was just i want to get a bull but what i realized as the season progresses i was so fixated on that goal that i wasn't really enjoying hunting and eventually i had to to let that goal kind of go away and not that i wasn't still looking for you know a bull but it just it kind of lost the fun because I was so worried about about that goal, and so I guess for me, um, my second takeaway is it's it's perfectly fine to have goals. It's it's fine to have objectives and things you want to accomplish, but uh, I guess to to make the those things secondary and make the number one goal to just enjoy the experience and then have everything else kind of be secondary to that. And I think if I had done that, I would have enjoyed the season sooner and been been less stressed about. Because I'm a very goal-oriented person. I set a goal, and that's what I, I kind of get fixated on. And and so for me, I just kind of reframed it in my mind that, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this. That's the goal, is to enjoy this. And then second to that is if I can get a bowl, then I want to get a bowl. So that was the second thing is to – to make the the priority enjoying the experience outdoors, so that's yes. Uh, you bring up a really good point there. Is I I agree. I think you have to have goals. My ultimate goal is I want a a, a bull that's going to go three fifty or better better with my bow. That's like the ultimate. So I have that in mind every year. I I want that goal. Is that necessarily what I want to obtain for that season? Not necessarily. Um, and then it goes down to I want to shoot a good bull mm -hmm. every year. I don't necessarily go for that. And then it's, I want to fill the freezer. You know, that's one of my main goals. I want to get some meat in the freezer, and, and that's really my focus. So if I get presented with a cow on that first day and it's a good shot, I'm probably going to take it because that's my goal. I, it's tough to get that ultimate goal if you're doing that, of course, but um, I just recently started watching uh, Meat Eater. Mm. It's, Great show. You know, back up and got some new episodes, and there's one with Giannis Patelis and his dad and, and Steve and their moose hunting. And you watch uh, Giannis Patelis' dad in that episode, and he speaks exactly what we should all be doing. He says, you know, he ends up shooting a 
not to ruin it for anybody. <laughs> Spoiler up, alert. Yeah. Ends up shooting a, a bowl. And it's a nice bowl. Like right at the beginning of their trip. But then, he, you know, they're talking to him. And he's like, you know what? I live essentially day to day and enjoy it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to pay attention to where I'm walking. I'm going to pay attention to where I'm at and soak all that in. And I think I'm to that point where regardless of how my season ends up, there's little things. I, you know, I was so relieved after I shot my bull and there was such a weight lifted and I put that pressure on myself. And once that was gone, that trip, the rest of the week was so relaxing because I'm just there with, with yeah. my brothers hanging out. And it doesn't get much better. No. And so I think we've always got to have those goals. But always remember why you're out there. Take the time to soak every bit in, whether it's raining and you're sitting at camp and you're just yeah. back relaxed to those high-intense moments of the elk bugling and, and things are going crazy. And so I've I've been able to find that balance somewhat, and I always have that pressure on myself. I'm going to do that when I, I go out here in a few weeks of I've got to get this done, but yet understanding that, you know, if I'm in a tree stand just watching what's around me and just enjoying it, enjoying the, you know, everything around you, the birds, the, you know, the small game, the coyotes, stuff that you see and, and soak it all in. And so that's, I think you're spot on there. Um, once that's learned, that's, seasons become more and more enjoyable every year. Yep. And you try not to, and that's, you know, I'm, Looking forward to the day. Hopefully, I draw a sheep tag, but at the same time, you know, I'm I'm dreading drawing a sheep tag. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. And I I don't want that pressure to take away from the hunt. You're carrying yeah. all of our hopes and dreams on your shoulders. You know, well, everybody wants that tag, yeah. but how many <laughs> people get that tag that you end up eating the tag, and it's like, if I just would have enjoyed, and I think sometimes yeah. those those type of hunts take away some of what what hunting really is and it's more focused on you know that that goal and that outcome of of the kill yep. at the end and that's where i think things have gotten better with the industry that it's not all about that anymore it's right. more enjoying the the pure aspect of why we're out there yeah do you have a number two uh, i was thinking and i preparation and I talked about this when I was talking with the flat tires. That totally ruined us from having a couple additional hunts. And so I was all excited. I, I was packed up probably a month ahead of time. All my gear's ready to go. My camp's ready to go. And I forgot to check one simple thing of making sure I have a way to get my spare tire down and be right. able to change a tire. <laughs> you know, and that's just general <laughs> preparation going down the road anyway. Right, yeah. And I, and I totally... You know, I was so glad my brothers were as good as they were with me because I started looking around and you know, I'm I don't have that stuff. You know. Oh crap. Yep. And it's luckily we were in the place we were and had cell service. Yeah. And weren't stranded because that could have been really really bad and um, you know I feel bad because it ended up taking essentially two two hunts away from us that uh, following day. Because by the time we got back to camp, we were all beaten. You know, we had a good afternoon hunt, but it. Uh, so that was, you know, making sure you're fully prepared for everything. Think of every situation and just get prepared for it. And I definitely was with a lot of the stuff I took there. I'm overpacked generally. I'm 
we had way more food than we needed. We could have stayed down there for a month and a half and been just fine. But the little things that caught up to us that I wasn't expecting and that, you know, that moment of panic of, I don't know if we're going to make it out of here. We don't aren't set up for it. So yeah, um, that was probably one of my bigger takeaways is being prepared and having good equipment when you're out there. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, that was my third one, my third takeaway. I, uh, I feel like I did a, a fairly good job of preparing for Utah as far as my physical fitness. And then I, I feel like I did a, a, a good job, um, as far as making the phone calls I needed to and whatnot, um, getting the information on the unit where I totally dropped the ball. It was back here at home in Montana. I I did two days of scouting ahead of time. I didn't hang any trail cameras this year. I didn't I didn't do any of that that uh, legwork ahead of time. And so when I came back to hunt in Montana, I essentially spent the whole archery season kind of hunting blind. And it worked out in some ways. I was able to get into to elk, but I would have been less less stressed about finding elk. I would have had a better idea of how to hunt them had I done the the work ahead of time. Um, I love going into new areas and that's maybe one of my downfalls is I love going to new places where I've never been before and just kind of, you know, dropping a pin and going and hunting there. But that's, that can be a stressful way to hunt because I mean, you're, you're hunting blind all the time and you, you haven't done that prep work ahead of time. So that would be my thing is be, be better prepared ahead of time. Um, do some of that legwork to help ease the burden of finding, you know, elk during actual elk season. So that was my third takeaway. Nice. My third would be don't be afraid almost your preparation to hunt somewhere new. Mm. Um, I found myself even this year going back. So the last few years there was always these key spots where I was constantly finding elk. And I can't drag myself away from them. Yeah. I have to. Because there's elk there. Well, there always is. And I went into those spots, and there wasn't a single elk to be found. The sign that was in there was from the year before. They Mm. hadn't been using it. There was no new rubs. And I was fortunate in the fact that they had already found elk prior to me getting there, so I knew we we had elk. But going into those areas where I went year after year after year, of finding elk and then going in this year and they're just not there. Mm. Um, so being prepared that having that every year this is where I'm going to go because they're going to be there, you have to be prepared that when you go in there, if there is no sign, get out of there. Yep. Um, the one spot where we killed a couple bulls last year, I went in there thinking they're going to be in there. They're there. I know they are. And not a single bit of sign. Nothing had been in there. Um, and so it really opened my eyes in a key point this year was being prepared to go to a new spot. I was fortunate that the new spot that we went into that we hadn't been before, there was elk there. So just keeping that open mind that I need to make sure I'm not relying on spots I've been year after year. Right. Yeah. And I guess a, a bonus takeaway is, don't don't stop hunting because it's the middle of the afternoon. You can get into elk any time of day. And there's so many guys 
that I know who shut it down from like 10 to 4 because, well, they all go bedded down. I I was constantly blown away this season by the number of elk that I got into between 10 and 4. Like almost every day that was when I was getting into elk. So don't be afraid to hunt during the middle of the day. It's a uh, key time most people miss, including myself. I'm I'm one that I like to go out in the morning, get into them, leave them be, and then go back to camp, eat some good food, relax, and then go back after it. Um, I think you're the the more time you spend in the field, the the more encounters you're gonna have. If you're spending your time in camp, you're missing out. Yep. And so I do miss out because there is times where I'm going back to camp. I am one of those guys. It happens. Yep. We all do it. I'm I'm one of those guys. I I don't want anybody to think that I'm this like Iron Man who stays (laughs) out all day long. But I I kick myself sometimes because I think, man, I you know I probably should have stayed out. Yep. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. You bet. Uh, Do you have any concluding thoughts for us? Uh, I'm ready for deer season. Yeah. (laughs) I you you were telling me about that. You're you're gonna kill a big one. I feel like I'm gonna shoot a buck. I'm probably going to get some doe tags, so I'm going to fill the freezer with some more meat. But, nice. Um, confident going into this, uh, especially with my equipment. You know, once you get one kill for the season, it's hard to stop because everything's feeling good, and I'm I'm pretty confident going in. Um, I'm going to be hunting early rut, probably pre-rut for mule deer and whitetail. And so I'm. it's been probably four years since I dedicated any time to really other than weekends hunting deer so took another week off i'm going back in to to see if i can get it done nice and so take the wall tent out camp for a few days probably gonna be me by myself um i don't know that i'm gonna have anybody hunting with me this year so in some aspect i'm really looking forward to that but it's when you talk mental toughness those nights when there's nobody around to talk to yeah (laughs) those can wear on you and you know i'm looking forward to kind of getting out there and just you know it'll be a good time for just reflection on a lot of things outside of hunting yep. um you know there's all these stuff going on today's world it's so tied to technology and you know that's the one thing i really look forward to is is where i go i don't have service i i really can't make phone calls that's I can't phenomenal send text i there's areas i can get to if i really need to um i'm probably ill-equipped going out and not ha- being as prepared with that stuff but um everybody knows where i'm at um as far as family where i'm gonna be so i'm i'm not as worried i'm not hunting you know any big bear country nothing like that so yeah you know it's um, i'm looking forward to it my archery season isn't done um i'm gonna be archery hunting in the rifle season which i enjoy that in itself is a is a pretty good accomplishment getting a, a good buck oh, yeah. killed during rifle season with the bow i've done shot a couple bucks during rifle season and it's it's hard to do but that's when they're rutting that's the time to be out so absolutely should be good yeah uh if people want to follow you on social media where can they find you uh facebook instagram i, I twitter um it's <laughs> the one i'm like ah, should i tweet <laughs> 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 but i do have a twitter account instagram uh facebook it's just under my name uh twitter is mt bow hunter 84 i believe um and then instagram is just life as a bow hunter and then Facebook's just myself. I don't have a cool. public profile or anything like that. Nice. Um, but, yeah, if they want to follow that, 
uh, feel free. I'm not that exciting. I will say if I do post, it's generally going to be hunting related. So. It's good stuff. Yeah. I like your good follow. I'll link stuff in the show notes so people can follow you if they want to. I need to take more pictures. I, I get wrapped up in hunts where I forget to get the camera out. And so I always kick myself. I come home and I'm like, man, I should have grabbed my camera more. Dude, give but me a give me a shout next time I'll come and let's take pictures for you. Yeah. I mean, I I enjoy going out and just taking pictures. I mean, it's it's good practice for me, but it's also really fun to try to document a hunt. So it's next time, yeah, let me know. Uh, final question for you: What is the greatest lesson that you've learned from your life in the outdoors? There is so many. I can't believe you want me to narrow it to one. One thing. What's the first one that pops to your mind? Uh, patience. By far, especially archery, patience is a key thing. There's times when, well, there's a couple. Patience big time just for archery. you got to be patient. And then the other is just uh, uh, reflection, I would say. What it's really taught me is to have that time to sit down and really look back at the things I'm doing, um, where my life's at. gives me a lot of time to kind of look at myself in the big picture and uh, time for quiet. There's no other place I can think where I can just go and it's quiet. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing else going on, but I'm just sitting uh, a lot of times in the middle of nowhere where I can't hear cars, I can't hear anything, and and helping me on that reflection so those are like i said there's so many things but i'll narrow it to two patience and reflection i love it can't thank you so much for coming on man appreciate you all right guys and gals thank you so much for listening to that episode with kent kent's an incredible human being and i really appreciate his time and him sharing his talents with all of us if you have any questions or comments feel free to reach out links are in the show notes and leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you happen to be listening to this on. It really helps me as I create content for future episodes. I look forward to the next one. And until next time, make life epic.